Hello and welcome to the Sound of History podcast. My name is Nick. My name is Mika. And this is a music history podcast where I attempt to teach music history to my wife. And I don't retain hardly anything. Now, does that mean I'm a bad teacher? No, I'm a bad learner. But I feel like historically you've been a very good learner. If I apply myself. And historically, I have not been a teacher. So we ha- we don't have anything on me. I'm not me. studying, so. That's fair. I'll just give you the scripts and force you to study before every time oh. we record now. I would fall asleep reading that so fast. <laughs> I'll give you quizzes every other week. That would actually be pretty comical. <laughs> <laughs> you have to know dates and stuff. Oh, I didn't <laughs> sign up for that. No one ever signs up for pop quizzes. That's the point. Yeah, but in a way, I kind of have signed up for this, <laughs> so... Yeah, that's fair. Please don't quiz me on dates. <laughs> well, we're into the, the Mika's Plugs section. I forgot what we said we would call it last I time. I don't know. You came up with a name for it, but... I don't think oh, I really it, did. It wasn't a great was a name. joke. Okay. I would like to plug cats. Again? <laughs> Did I already do that <laughs> I one? I think so. <laughs> Specifically the animal, not the musical. All right. Fair enough. Is that it? Pretty much. They're why? pretty great. Okay. So why why are you plugging cats? Because I couldn't think of anything else. <laughs> <laughs> so you just looked around the room? Yeah. And saw all of our cats? Yes. All, all right. two of them. That's fair. They're pretty great. They're good entertainment. Actually, I don't know where either of them are. They're eating out of the sink. Okay, good. We have trained them well. Okay, well, I guess that's all for Mika's plugs this time. Get yourself a cat. Foster animals during the pandemic. That's true. But then, like, don't, like, drop them or give them back or anything as soon as you're able. That would be sad. Well, I mean, that's what fostering is. give them back, but, like, don't just, like, don't adopt and then, like. Yeah. Don't adopt if you don't plan on raising the animal, but you can foster. Foster some puppies until they go to their forever home. And by puppies, we mean puppies of all ages (laughs) and all all animals. And all breeds. Yeah. No, not just breeds. Yeah, I'm trying to think of... There you go, species. species. (laughs) (laughs) Might I suggest a cat? (laughs) A cat puppy. Mm. All right, well, for the past few weeks, we've been talking about jazz... We've got a few more weeks to go in jazz. Woo. I think after this one, we still have six. Whoa. No, 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 Four. Four. Sorry. <laughs> we have swing that and then we have crooners. Really, that would have been really impressive still if you hadn't already said six. Yeah, I know. I ruined it. Whatever. Now I'm not excited about a month more of <laughs> jazz <laughs> where I should be. Well, too bad. You better get excited. But before we move on from jazz into swing, which is kind of the same thing, but a little bit different, we're going to talk about another key figure in jazz. I mean, we already talked about Louis Armstrong last week, but we've got another one for this week, which is a little bit different than what we normally do. We normally only focus on one key person for each genre, but I mean, it's our show. We do what we want. They really are. And with this one, uh, she's a little bit outside of the time frame i thought she was more because i tried to keep it more like early jazz like 20s mm-hmm. turns out she's more like late 30s and 40s but oh no an additional 10 to 20 <laughs> years it's, it's a big deal in music that's fair but you know whatever i don't care still our show i still want to talk about her so we're gonna do it 
it's Ella. It is Ella Fitzgerald. And the reason, one of the reasons I kind of wanted to do this was because we haven't talked about a whole lot of women, and that's a massive oversight on my part, and one that I want to correct. Because there's been a lot of women doing really awesome things around music during this time period and before it, and just for whatever reason, they haven't come up in the, like, they've come up in the episodes, but we haven't focused in on really a woman since Laura Keene, I don't think. Laura Keene was one of my favorite episodes. Yeah. That was a really cool one. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just, because, like, there were a lot of cool women doing really cool things in blues, but, I mean, I love Robert Johnson, so I'm going to want to talk about him. So it's just kind of the way it worked, but I was like, nah, I don't care. I'm going to throw an extra episode in here so we can talk about some of the women doing really cool stuff. Because they didn't get the attention they deserved back then, so let's give it to them now. And it's our podcast, so we can change rules if we want. doesn't matter. <laughs> I don't know if people like who haven't been listening from the beginning even have picked up on the pattern that you'll mm -hmm. do like Maybe an not. oversight or not or an overview yeah. episode and then zero in on one to two people. Yeah. Well, if you if you didn't know that, <laughs> that's the way it normally goes around and here. And we're breaking it. Yes. And now you just learn that for it to not matter. Uh, by no means is Ella Fitzgerald the only woman doing anything in music at this time. I debated talking about Mamie Smith or Bessie Smith, but they were primarily the blues, even though they were like hugely popular during this point. Uh, there are other people I could have chosen, but I'm doing the research, and I liked Ella Fitzgerald, so I chose to talk about her. Also, she rose to prominence in the 30s and 40s, so she bridges the gap between what we've been talking about and the swing era, which is where we're going, because that was like late 30s, early 40s. Didn't plan it that way, but that's how it happened. So Just own it. That's <laughs> totally how you planned it. And you're a genius. You know exactly what you're doing at any given mm. point. <laughs> So even though Ella wasn't the only woman doing stuff, there was a lot of cool women. She wasn't, she was no slouch. She was doing a lot of really cool stuff. She was dubbed the first lady of song and sold over 40 million albums during her lifetime. Her That's impressive. It is. That's a lot it for is. her time. Her voice was somewhat unparalleled in how flexible it was. God, she could sing, <laughs> she could sing sultry, sweet ballads or really belt out a banger song. It really doesn't matter. She could do it all. Yes, Ella and her bangers. <laughs> also, she could imitate every instrument in the orchestra with her voice. There really isn't a jazz great that she didn't work with. Everyone from Louis Armstrong to Duke Ellington to Frank Sinatra to Count Basie, who we'll talk about in a couple weeks, had the pleasure of working with Ella. I don't know Count Basie. You will. We'll I'm talk about him. I'm looking forward to that. He's swing. Because we're going to do an episode where I'm going to let you decide who was the king of swing. Ooh. Because there's an argument between Benny Goodman and Count Basie. Such power I So have. I'm going to tell you both of their stories, and I'm going to let you decide who you think is the king of swing. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> That's in a couple episodes. So stick around and you get to hear that. Ella Fitzgerald was born on April 25th, 1917 in Newport News, Virginia. Pop quiz, what year was she born? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely have no clue. What state was she born in? New Jersey. <laughs> Is that right? No. <laughs> she was born. Virginia. Yes. Newport, Virginia. News. Yeah. News. <laughs> Springs. No. Just stop. You were close. Just. <laughs> She was born in 1917 in Newport News, Virginia. What is Newport News? It's a city. I don't know. 
And now, n- tonight on Newsport News Nightly. Newport News Nightly. <laughs> Clever. And name. now Bob with the weather. <laughs> like, what is that? I, I need to see it, like, written out. Is it it's, how I think yeah. it is? Yeah. It's two different words. Newport Why? Space News. That's weird. I don't know. I mean, places have weird names. Okay. Uh, she was... I don't like the way I wrote this sentence, so I'm going to change it. She was the child of a common law marriage between William Fitzgerald and Temperance Williams. I wrote it. She was the product of a common oh law God. marriage. And I don't like that. <laughs> her parents split up soon after she was born. Ella and her mother moved to Yonkers, New York to live with Ella's mother's longtime boyfriend, whose name was Joseph Da Silva. So they're in Yonkers, New York now. I know Yonkers. Okay, good. Money was always pretty tight for the family. Joseph worked digging ditches, and Temperance worked at a laundromat. To help the family out, especially after the birth of her half-sister, Ella did odd jobs and worked as a runner for gamblers. She would take their bets and drop off their money for them. That's a lot of responsibility Mm -hmm. to give to a child. (laughs) She also worked as a lookout for a brothel. These kids, Mm -hmm. dude. She's doing whatever she can to help out the family. According to childhood friends, Ella was always pretty shy, but very ambitious. From a very young age, she was convinced that she was going to be a star. One friend said that Ella told her, quote, someday you're going to see me in the headlines. I'm going to be famous. That All kids tell each other about that. Yeah, I guess. But I mean. It just so happens yeah, that just she so happens was she's right. right. <laughs> she also considered herself more of a tomboy. She would join in the neighborhood baseball games. Aside from that, she had aspirations of becoming a professional dancer. By the age of 15, she had a few dancing gigs at clubs around the area. What? I don't like that sentence. I'm, I'm just telling you. <laughs> she was happy-go-lucky and, by all accounts, a pretty decent student, even though her attention was always more on singing and dancing than on school. Then, in 1932, tragedy struck the family when Ella's mother died unexpectedly. Ella would later say that her mother died of injuries she received trying to save a child from being run over by a car. What? But that wasn't exactly true. Her mother died of a heart attack, but her but her official website has injuries received during a car accident as the cause of death. So I guess you can just kind of like believe whoever you want on that. I don't know. Who said she had a heart attack? Uh, I don't know. I just saw that and with some of the research I was doing. I can't remember where. Well, I'm going to believe the official website. Okay, well, I mean, it's Ella Fitzgerald's website, so they probably just took whatever Ella said and were like, yep, sure, we'll put that there. There is some speculation and reason to believe that after her mother's death, Joseph didn't treat Ella all that well. Some think she may have even been abused by him. Whatever the cause, her behavior started to change. Eventually, Ella went to live with her mother's sister, Virginia, in Harlem. Shortly after that, Joseph also died from a heart attack, and Ella's younger sister came to live with Ella in Virginia, in Harlem. At this point, Ella was a pretty troubled child. She stopped going to school, preferring to work on the illegal lottery that was run by the mafia, and continued to work as a lookout for brothels. She was caught by the police and sent to live in a reform school that may have even been worse for her. She suffered frequent beatings at the hands of the caretakers, probably because she was African-American, and African-Americans were treated far worse at the school. Ella never really spoke about this time in her life, and I can't exactly blame her for that since it was, like, super traumatic for her. 
but for the rest of her life, she would secretly donate tons of money to children's charities throughout mm-hmm. her career. And we don't exactly know how. Maybe she was released, but more likely she ran away. But Ella left the school and started living on the streets in Harlem, singing and dancing for money. She was only 15, and the country was in the middle of the Great Depression. Wow. So things weren't great all around. Desperate for something to do, she submitted her name and won the right to perform at Amateur Night at the famous Apollo Theater. So it's kind of like a talent show. So in November of 1934, she made her official stage debut. I mean, if you don't count the clubs dancing as a 14-year-old. I'd rather not. <laughs> she originally wanted to just dance, but she suffered extreme stage fright because of, because of the notoriously vicious crowd at the Apollo. They started to boo her and yelled at her, asking, quote, what are you going to do? Because apparently she just came out on the stage and like kind of froze with the stage fright and couldn't do her dance so she randomly broke out in song singing hoagie carmichael's judy which was one of her mother's favorite songs and the crowd quickly quieted down by the end they were demanding an encore she obliged and sang them another song she won the contest 25 dollar grand prize (laughs) that performance set her career into motion a popular saxophonist and arranger named benny carter was in the audience He started to introduce Ella to people who could spark her career. The two would become lifelong friends and work together all the time. She started to enter and win pretty much every talent show that she could find. She soon met a guy named Chick Webb, who was a legendary band leader in Harlem. And we'll also talk about him in the next couple episodes. He's in the... He's in the swing era, so he's like... We'll talk about him in the swing episode, and we'll also talk about him when we talk about the swing kings. And she was taken to audition for Chick Webb since he was looking for a new singer for his group. Apparently, first impressions weren't that great. One band member said, quote, she hadn't had a bath and smelled like it could have been a year. And Webb, after seeing after first seeing her, said, quote, you're not putting that on my bandstand. So Ella's off to a little bit of a rocky start here. Sweet baby. <laughs> Ella, offstage, was extremely shy and self-conscious. She was socially awkward and reserved. But on stage, she seemed to be made for the spotlight and could win over any crowd. Chick Webb heard her sing and perform and agreed to hire her into the band. She won over a notoriously tough crowd at Yale, so Webb hired her to travel with the band at $12.50 per week. Which is pretty good at that time. Especially when you're like living on the street and now you're going to performing for $12 a week. She'd probably do it for not a lot. Yeah, that's true. She recorded her first song with Chick Webb's band called Love and Kisses in 1936. It was a moderate success, but not a smash hit. You want to hear Love and Kisses? I do want to hear Love and Kisses. Love and Kisses Never misses Making heaven for two With a tender Sweet surrender Coming from someone like you I 
I don't know if that's like officially the recording she did with Chick Webb. It might have been later because they had a habit of like re-recording songs. So I don't know. But that was the song she sang. At this time, she was performing with Webb's band at the world-famous Savoy Theater, which, as we will learn in a couple episodes, is where Webb set up residency. And it's like, remember how like Duke Ellington had the Cotton Club and he just played there all the time for years? The Savoy Theater was where Chick Webb set up. During her performances there, Ella would start to experiment a little. Jazz was changing into swing with bebop elements, and she started to use her voice to take on the role of a horn in the band. She also recorded a song called, quote, You Have to Swing It, which was the first time she played around with scatting. But like throughout her career, she would become famous for her, abil- for her ability to scat. That was just kind of the first time that she tried it. Things started to take off for her in the band. She moved into fancy new rooms and employed a maid. It was around this time that she began to be called the First Lady of Jazz. She took a brief break from everything in 1937, and no one really knows why. She just kind of stopped performing and stopped recording. Her biographer claims that Ella took time off to have an abortion and was forced to take more time off when it went wrong. Mm. And that was the reason, according to this biographer, that she would never have children. Mm. I don't really know how backed up that is by evidence since I haven't read the biography. So I haven't like read his evidence or her evidence, but I'm not going to say it's true. Just going to let you know that that is the theory that's out there. But officially no one knows for sure why she just took a year off. It's seemingly like when she's just gaining so much attention. At the age of 21 in 1938, she released a song that she co-wrote called A Tisket, A Tasket, which was a playful version of a nursery rhyme. The record sold a million copies and spent 17 weeks at number one on the charts. Suddenly, Ella was a star. She had her own side project called Ella Fitzgerald and her Savoy 8 and worked with a few other top band leaders of the day like Benny Goodman, who we'll also talk about in the Swing Kings episode. Here's a tisket a tasket. Tisket a tasket, something about a basket. (laughs) Someone died, daddy cried. I don't remember the last line. Yeah, I don't. A tisket, a tasket, a brown and yellow basket. I send a letter to my mummy on the way I dropped it. I dropped it, I dropped it. Yes, on the way I dropped it. A little girly picked it up and put it in a pocket. She was trucking on down the avenue, but not a single thing to do. She went back, back, backing all around. When she spied it on the ground, I don't know she why she's on a bus with cowboys, but all right. My little yellow basket, and if she doesn't bring it back, music videos have weird that That's very true. <laughs> This is probably from a movie. You've probably I seen it in a movie. Where my basket can be. All right. Just get a tasket. It's Very about a basket, enjoyable. apparently. Hi, everyone. Matthew and Kyle here from Audio Judo. You ever wonder why certain songs get stuck in your head and you can't get them out? There's an answer. It's science. Were you ever curious about why Pink Floyd broke up? Or maybe you're interested in finding new music or bands? Then Then we're we're the podcast podcast for you. you. Audio Judo. 
podcast of music discovery. www.audiojudo.com Or wherever podcasts are podcast. In 1939, Ella suffered a major blow when Chick Webb died from spinal tuberculosis. Wow. Yeah. He was pretty protective of Ella, and the two had become really close since their not great first impression. (laughs) So losing him hit her pretty hard. Maybe because she was still reeling from Webb's death, Ella made a big mistake and married a local dock worker and hustler named Benny Cornegay. He had been in prison for drug charges and apparently only saw her as a meal ticket. Cool. Ella's management, when they heard of the marriage, hired private investigators who unearthed the criminal charges and the less reputable parts of Benny's past. Apparently Ella really didn't know any of that before she married him. Like he kept it hidden so he could just marry her and get her money. Wow. Mm -hmm. So once Ella learned all that, she had the marriage annulled and the judge somewhat condescendingly told her, quote, you go back to singing a tisket a tasket and leave the boys alone. End quote. Yeah. The disrespect. <laughs> when she was asked about it in an interview years later, Ella could barely even remember her once husband's name. <laughs> it was probably just a dark I time. I forgot that life. you existed. <laughs> <laughs> After his death, Chick Webb's band became Ella's band and was renamed Ella Fitzgerald and her famous band. She took on the task of band leader, which was pretty overwhelming for a 22-year-old in a world-famous band. 22. Yeah. And she's leading this band that everyone knows because wow. Chick Webb was one of the biggest bands at the time. She recorded nearly 150 records with Webb's orchestra between 1935 and 1942. It's an insane amount of records. It's impressive like as crap. Think about how long it takes bands to release an album now. Like, you'll get an album once every three years if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. He's releasing 150 in seven years. <laughs> I oh, mean, their records were smaller. smaller. It was like two songs, but still. Yeah. In July of 1942, there was increasing dissent and money concerns in her own band, so she started to sing in a b- new band called The Three Keys. And soon after, her band played their last show. Ella started to branch out on her own. She had a record contract with Decca Records, with whom she had several other hit songs and appeared in her first movie called Ride'em Cowboy. That explains the cowboys. Yeah, that explains the cowboys and the bus. (laughs) Do you want to see Ella in that movie? Which we might have already already did. did, But (laughs) here's another scene. Watch it be the same scene. Well, if you want me to do it, I'll have these cats come on fit to kill. And we'll show you how they brought the square, you know, back in Harlem on Sugar Hill. Now, if you really want to get your boots laid, start out with the old Slim Sham. And play back that jive I laid on you, Pops, you're on your own, so cut out and jam. That was a little roll of the movie. That was it? I mean, she, like, came in later and sang a little bit, I think. Okay. Yeah, as I learned, like, a lot of the record companies were owned by the same people who owned the movie companies. Mm-hmm. So, like, anyone who had any success recording music, they were like, let's put them in a movie. Let's, like, dr- let's like have a draw for people to come see this movie. Yeah. So, even if they had no business being in movies, <laughs> like, <laughs> we'll, we'll thrust them in there. In 1945, she released a song called Flying Home, which the New York Times said, quote, one of the most influential vocal jazz records of the decade. 
where other singers, most notably Louis Armstrong, had tried similar improvisation. No one before Miss Fitzgerald employed the technique with such dazzling inventiveness. Aww. Here is Flying Home. Sounds like yodeling. Their actual lyrics of this, or if it's just her scatting the whole time, does it matter? Doesn't. <laughs> I'm just really bad at titling things, mm-hmm. so I feel like a song like this with no lyrics would be like, well, what am I supposed to call this? <laughs> just feeling essence of the music. <laughs> just call it Ella scatting. <laughs> that would be my title for it. And this is why you don't yeah, songwrite. <laughs> I have to title things at work sometimes, and it's never good. <laughs> it always has to go through multiple revisions. Nice. Right, well, it's Ella scatting for two and a half minutes. I like it. Yeah, it's good. In 1946, she began working with a man named Norman Granz, who really took her career to the next level. Eventually, Granz would found a record label called Verve Records. Granz had started a radio series called Jazz at the Philharmonic that was pretty successful. It featured most of the genre's top performers, and Ella hired Grants to be her manager. The next year, Ella went on tour with Dizzy Gillespie's band, who I'm sure we'll talk about in like Jazz Part 2 or something. I haven't gotten that far, so I don't know. But Did we already talk about them? No, we haven't talked about Dizzy Gillespie. Oh. He's just like a really popular jazz artist at that time. She met and fell in love with the bassist of the band, Ray Brown. They got married and adopted her half-sister's son, naming him Ray Jr., the strains of a marriage between two working performers was hard. Ray didn't go on Dizzy's European tour, choosing to stay with Ella instead. Ella wasn't willing to make those sacrifices and normally put work ahead of pleasure. Her work ethic was just, like, insane. She was pretty much a workaholic. So that put a strain on the relationship. Later, Ella would say, quote, It was a good marriage, but it's hard for two people in show business. Which is understandable. I mean, it's hard for two people in general, but mm-hmm. especially if you never see each other. Grand signed Ella to the Philharmonic Concert Series, and Ella had the chance to make records with Louis Armstrong and other prominent performers. The 50s and 60s were periods of extreme success for her. People knew her talent, and she was at the top of the mainstream game. She started to appear on radio and TV variety shows hosted by people like Ed Sullivan, Nat King Cole, Bing Crosby, Frank Sinatra, and Dean Martin. She was a favorite and frequent guest on all of them. Just making the rounds. Due to Ella's full-throttle career and brutal tour schedule, she rarely had time for Ray Jr., her adopted son. Most of the time, he lived with her aunt, the same one who Ella lived with when she was growing up. Ray later said about their relationship, quote, All I can say is that she gave to me as much as she could, and she loved me as much as she could. Which, you know... Sounds like a very... PC answer yeah. when he didn't feel like he got enough love. Yeah. But I mean, it also sounds like someone who recognized like work was her. Yeah, work was work was her passion. Like I was yeah. I was second fiddle to work, so she gave me as much love as someone who had w- someone that was yeah. second fiddle. Yeah. Okay. 
Despite her clear success, she was at the top of the music game, her self-esteem never caught up. She was frequently anxious and prone to massive bouts of stage fright. She was known to peer at audiences from behind the curtain and mutter to herself, quote, I hope they like me. Sweet baby. Yeah. She was very self-conscious. Friends remember her always being paranoid that people were talking about her, especially about her weight. She was very sensitive about her appearance and her background. Mm. Which, like, I've been surprised to learn as I research more. That's pretty common for, like, some of these people who are these massive stage figures and they come out and they're so charismatic and they like just control the crowd a lot of them are like terrified to go out on stage i wonder how prevalent that is now yeah i don't know because there's a uh, al jolson who was in the jazz singer that we talked about that movie with the blackface Mm -hmm. and we're gonna we have a whole episode on him he would like he was massive like he he would literally just walk out on stage in a broadway show and ask the crowd do you guys want to see the rest of the show or do you just want to see me? And the crowd would be like, we'll see you. So then he would send the rest of the cast home and just do a one-man show for the rest of the time. That's like disrespectful to yeah, it is. all the other performers. It is, but like that's how big he was and that's how big his stage persona was and how confident he was. But apparently he had barf buckets all backstage because like he just he would use them in between acts because like he was just terrified offstage of like going out and facing the crowd it's crazy maybe it's because like they've built so much of them like these people have to like me that's the whole thing so if they don't then i'm screwed so eh, whatever wow yeah it's just, i just think it's interesting that so many of them like, and then you have bing crosby who just apparently never cared about anything <laughs> it's just <laughs> like oh, whatever <laughs> they like me they don't i don't care i have my horses and my golf <laughs> i'm i just love Love, love, love that. <laughs> in 1952, Ella and her husband divorced, but they would remain good friends for the rest of their lives. Gantz, Ella's manager, was notorious at his absolute refusal to abide racism. He would demand equality for all of his performers, no matter where they played. Nice. Even in the Deep South. Nice. Yeah. He would not accept any discrimination from anyone. Once while doing a Philharmonic tour in Dallas police stormed backstage and arrested everyone because they were so mad at Gantz's rules. Like, Gantz would, before they played a venue, like, he would have hard rules. Like, you, there's no discrimination if any of these things happen that venues in the South were known to do to African-American performers. He, like, made sure they couldn't happen. So the police were like, oh, we don't like him making all these rules that say we can't discriminate against people, so we're going to go in and arrest everyone. Apparently, they caught him, like, playing cards or something backstage. How dare he? <laughs> Ella How said, dare he set rules for his own yeah, right? product and play cards? How dare he? <laughs> well, I don't think they arrested Gantz. They arrested all the performers on his tour. Like, he probably wasn't even there. He was probably in his office in New York or whatever, or wherever he was based. Ella said, quote, They took us down, and then when we got there, they had the nerve to ask for an autograph. End quote. <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, I'm guessing there were no charges that they formed. It was mostly a scare tactic. I mean, I'm not saying that as a good thing. Like, it was still a horrible thing. I would hope that there were no charges. Yeah. Like, that, they shouldn't be able to take them in if there are no charges. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was, it was 100% just a scare tactic to try and get to Gantz and tell him, like, 
we're not going to play by your non-discrimination rules. We're going to do what we want. So uh, it didn't work. Gant still, <laughs> he still had his rules. So Just the amount of stupidity. I will never be able to understand. Yeah. I cannot. I cannot imagine. Yep. Wow. In 1955, Ella left Decca Records, which was her record label, and Gantz created Verve Records around her. He basically like understood her appeal. I was like, all right, fine, I'll just create a record label that's just like based on you. Same thing happened with Bing Crosby in like the 30s or something. She started to release records that kind of defined her career during this point. They were called the Songbooks. She would basically sing famous arranger and performer songs. Like she would do the Duke Ellington songbook or the Cole Porter songbook. So she would just take like the best known songs from those guys and put her own little twist on it and release those as like the songbook of this person. That's fun. That's a pretty cool idea. Apparently it was Gantz's idea, but it revitalized Ella's musical interest. Before that, she was a bit tired of singing the same like pop style song. Like she was missing the real jazz of her youth. So... This was her chance to like, get back to that and record all the jazz songs that she loved when she was a kid. Good old covers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, these songbooks won her Grammys at the first ever Grammy Awards in 1958. That's awesome. Ella continued to tour and release music through the 60s and into the 70s. In the 70s, she spent a legendary two weeks residency with Frank Sinatra and Count Basie in New York. But the tour schedule was brutal. According to one musician, they spent 42 consecutive weeks on the road. After her sister's death, who was the person that was closest to Ella throughout her life, Ella was back on stage within days of the funeral. There are recordings of her breaking down and crying on stage mm. after that. It all began to take its toll to the point that Ella collapsed on stage and had to be carried off by a band member. Mm. And after that, understandably, the next several concerts were canceled. Mm-hmm. Ella pushed so hard for so long because she was afraid of slowing down. She was making really large donations to children's charities. She thought that they were completely dependent on her, and if she slowed down, they would suffer as a result. Wow. Also, after her sister's death, she felt that she had to provide for her sister's family as well. So she just kept touring so that she could keep helping people. But unfortunately, that was bad for her health. She kept playing and performing into the 80s. In 1986, she underwent quadruple bypass surgery. She had to start wearing glasses because of eye trouble. At the same time, they diagnosed her with diabetes. I'm sorry. You, you talk about quadruple bypass, and you're like, and she had to start wearing glasses because <laughs> those are on the same plane. <laughs> well, I think the eye trouble was because of the diabetes, yes. if I remember that correctly. Yes. Most people would call it quits and retire right about now. But Ella Fitzgerald was not most people. She kept right on with an exhaustive tour schedule, despite protests from pretty much everyone in her life. At age 76, both of her legs had to be amputated below the knee because of the diabetes. I don't think I knew that. She never recovered from that surgery and found performing quite difficult after that. Yeah. Which, like, of course you would. She spent most of her time after that at home. Her and her son did reconnect later in life, and there were talks of a long-term policeman boyfriend at this point. Ooh. <laughs> she spent a lot of time sitting outside and playing with her granddaughter, Alice. She said, quote, I just want to smell the air, listen to the birds, and hear Alice laugh, end quote. 
she she made her last recording in 1989 and her last performance at Carnegie Hall in 1991. Which is crazy that she was still 91. performing in 91. That's insane. Like, I wasn't born yet, but I was close. Almost. <laughs> my brother was born. Yeah, was Both of my brothers were born. Yeah. Wow. By the 1990s, she had recorded over 200 albums. Dude. In 1996, at the age of 79, she suffered a stroke and passed away in her home in Beverly Hills. Do you want to see a part of her last TV performance in 1992? Yes. Oh, goddess, look at her. Be smart. He's too close for comfort. Wait, she she's probably standing on prosthetics yeah but like because she walked out like she had people helping her but she walked out on stage don't upset your car when he's so close be soft be sweet but be discreet don't go off your feet he's too close for comfort Imagine getting started in music in 1930 and making it to the 90s and seeing everything that happened from the 30s to the 90s. Like she saw CDs, she saw tapes. Ella Fitzgerald in 1992. My parents were watching that. Probably. All right, well, that's Ella Fitzgerald. That's cool. Yeah, she was a pretty great woman. That's cool, babe. I like that. All right, I mean, anything else you want to add about Ella? I'm just sitting here, just soaking it in. <laughs> just like, you wow. Pretty quiet through that one. Well, it's... it's I don't know. It just hits a little different. Okay. For some reason. All right. I think that this genre, like, just my family has enjoyed it for so much time, like, especially, like, my grandparents. And so I just kind of am like, oh, this is cool. Okay. Like, I just, I, it's, it's a little bit special. All right. And hers, she did have a little bit darker story at times, like. It wasn't as fun and upbeat all the time. Bad things happen. But I don't know. I mean, you have to focus on those, too, because that's what makes a person who they are. Mm. The bad times and the good times. And something I want to do when I, like, focus in on people. I don't want to just give the good stuff because, like, these are people. Like, I might love, like, I love Ella Fitzgerald and I love what she was able to do. But she wasn't a great mom to her adopted son. She wasn't a great wife to her husband. And, like... She's because she's a human. She's a person. People have flaws. People aren't perfect. They have like mm-hmm. things that they do wrong. So I want to like, I don't know. I don't want to skip over that because I don't want to like paint her as like, oh, she's just this saint. She never did anything wrong. Like, no, people do things wrong. She's a person. Like, I I love Bing Crosby too. Bing Crosby did a lot of stuff wrong. Like, he was not, I mean, he, I, th- I think he was an okay person, but he wasn't like 
fantastic all the time. So mm-hmm. whenever we talk about him, I'm going to definitely talk about the stuff that he did wrong too. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just think it's important to remember that these, like we can look at them as just like characters, like they're people in books or movies or whatever, but like they're real people. They had real lives outside of what they did. So yeah, just to give you background on what I'm thinking about when I write these. It's cool. All right. Anything else you want to tell the people before we wrap this up? If you say cats, I'm going <laughs> to... I'm not going to say cats. What are you going to say then? I like you guys. <laughs> okay. And we'll end on that note. Join us next week when we talk about swing. I dropped it. Bye. I dropped it. I dropped it. Yes, on the way I dropped it. A little girly picked it up and put it in a pocket. She was trucking on down the avenue with not a single thing to do. She went a back, back, backing all around. When she spied it on the ground, she took it, she took it, my little yellow basket. And if she doesn't bring it back, I think that I will die.